The Back Pocket Podcast is presented by Homie.io. Homie is a social media platform that aims to build relationships with students and alumni of the same institution. On Homie, there is no connecting because there's already a Homie community waiting for you. Uh, These relationships you build on Homie help find you the job of your dreams and help companies find premier talent like yourself. Sign up for Homie.io today and start building relationships. Today is March 5th, and the boys from the back pocket are fresh, we're feeling it, we're loving it. Declan Brown, how are we? We are exuberant, I think would be my favorite word for right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Excited to get after this episode, we got a a foyer episode coming up today, but before we get to it, uh, not to brag, but Andrew and I uh, threw a party. We threw our one year anniversary party, it was phenomenal. It was a blast. I cannot thank these marketing interns enough for showing up. Because there was some nerves going in. We were genuinely um, concerned, concerned yeah. with the numbers because we had... Because these, we're not numbers guys. We're not numbers guys. We're we not numbers majors mm-hmm. at all. And I think, like, you hit it on the head, you know, you invite when you invite 200 people on Facebook, you're really uh, interested to see how many of those 200 actually show up. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also just wanted to market our brand to new people. So we also wanted to invite people who not necessarily knew us... Um, on a, on a first name basis, um, so that was nice to. Act. So we were nervous going in, but and we had two kegs. We needed to make sure we had all those ke- those kegs were all drank and completed. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would you say? How how did we do? Um, it was across the board. We crushed it. Yeah, I think, we um, I think when we put the cups down, so we so we set up the first rain, uh, number of cups down yeah. on the table, and once we sold those ones, we knew we broke even. Yeah. And, and what happened was we just, like, never knew when we broke even, though, which is a good thing because as salesmen, you know... You, you, you don't never, want that. Yeah, you just want to keep selling and telling people to subscribe on iTunes, mm. which I think we did a fairly good job, I think. So welcome all our new subscribers um, that are listening to this show. I hope you guys all had a really good time uh, at the party, and uh, we're sorry for uh, Andrew and I nagging you to subscribe on iTunes. Uh, that whole time, essentially, that um, pro- that getting people to subscribe on iTunes was hilarious because some people don't have the podcast app. Yeah, so that's always difficult. Nor do they know where the podcast app is. They like just buried in their phone somewhere. And yes, like, oh, the podcast app. Why do you want me to go on there? <laughs> so swiping right to go to the search bar every time. Type in podcast, and then only iTunes comes up. And, and they're like, oh, okay, now you got to download the app. So then they're sitting around waiting to download this app because, you know, they want to support our podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and like, of course, if there's a, a slew of 15 people that show up right away, Andrew and I are, like, going crazy because there's 15 people. They're all trying to buy cups. They're all trying to buy koozies. We're also trying to, like... We need a Venmo. Like, Venmo is not the easiest thing. People don't aren't quick with their Venmo. No. They there take ne- forever. There needs to be a quicker way where you can just, like, literally just, like... Venmo someone with the touch of a button or something. Yeah, like touch up on the forehead. Yeah, I don't know. Venmo. <laughs> Venmo. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a that was interesting, and then I also love just being able to hold people accountable. So once we got someone to subscribe onto the podcast, and then like if someone came in and bought the koozie and I was like, "Hey, are you a subscriber?" and they'd be like, uh, "No, but I'll subscribe." And and if I didn't have time to like 
actually harp on them and tell them to subscribe. Mm-hmm. I would just hold the other guys that I already told to subscribe that did subscribe to hold him accountable. It's perfect marketing. And, I, and every time they would walk by, I'd be like, hey, you hold him accountable. Make sure he subscribes. And like, I don't even know who these people are. And I'm just like, hey, hold that guy accountable. I don't care what you do. And so that was interesting. Good salesman. It was, it was nice being uh, working in retail for once. I thoroughly enjoyed being a salesman. I When someone would walk through the door and I just had the huge smile on my face ready to sell them. Presentable. Being presentable. And we had our back pocket t-shirts on. Nice. At so the time. thank you, Tess and Laura. Yeah. Big time marketing interns. Yeah. They made us t-shirts. They also made t-shirts of their own. They looked like the... I don't want to call them the back pocket groupies because that's just a, the worst connotation you could have for Tess and Laura. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're our friends, yes. not groupies. Um, but they had their matching shirts. It was really cool. Uh, we got our own shirts, uh, which made us look like way more official than we were expecting to be. Yep. Um, so, that, so that worked out. And I, I loved how many marketing interns showed up in jean jackets. Oh, my gosh. It was just a suggestion. And we weren't even planning on wearing jean jackets at the beginning of the yeah. day. And then we were like, well, we did say jean jackets suggested, so we might want to follow our own rules to our party. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we did. And that was great. But it's so funny to think that we were like, uh, the day of, we were thinking like, oh, maybe we shouldn't wear, like, or we weren't even thinking about wearing jean jackets. Mm-hmm. Just because we were too lazy, I'm sure. But <laughs> we, <laughs> we just, don't want to say went that. In, we went into Goodwill, and there was no men's jeans jack, jean jackets, so... We made moves, yeah. and we found the, the most women's section. manly women jean jackets. However, I don't know how you could tell the difference besides, like, there was ones that were crop tops. Yeah. Obviously, we didn't get those ones. No, but I, for some reason, my body fit in a women's medium jacket, and it made me, it like, I looked presentable in a women's medium jean jacket. That was interesting. And it worked out for me, so thank you. Goodwill. It's big time. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, so we, Andrew and I were just running around all night, you know, making sales, Cashing checks, breaking necks, you know, the routine mm-hmm. as podcasters do. Um, but what we were planning on doing was to put our YouTube page on our TV in, uh, during the party so people could, you know, first of all, get your views up a little bit, you know, pump a couple couple uh, 10, 10 or 20 views in there for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, market our, sh- our show on YouTube. Maybe, it's a, it, maybe it would have been a good opportunity for people to see that. Um, so I was trying to put it on the PS4. I turned the PS4 on, and then I got distracted, had to go do something else. And I came back, and there were like four guys playing Fortnite uh, on the t- like on the PS4, and I was like, "Well, this looks like a more productive way to go about the night." So then I just let them, and I think that's why people stayed until like midnight ish until the kegs were gone. Until the kegs were gone because they were just drinking beer and playing Fortnite all night, mm-hmm. and people were going nuts. They were losing their minds. They were having a blast, and I think we had a winner. Uh, you know, I'm not. I don't very, know if we had a royale. We I don't didn't. know if we. I don't think we did. But okay. we'll say we'll, allegedly. Allegedly, we had a royale. And okay. It was really cool. Uh, I think a big time highlight that needs to be talked about was the national anthem. Mm. Phenomenal. I think we we had the national anthem. What is it? Ten ten. Ten ten. Yeah. Ten oh six or something. Ten oh six. Yeah. And we had the whole place. No, no music, nothing. We yeah. just our baritone. Yeah. Voice. And yeah, so I got up on the uh, on the bar and I. Uh, I stopped the music. You know, that's how you get everyone's attention is you silence. Aye, 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 aye. So, yeah, we just got your attention with silence right there. That's how you do it. Everyone, you just, just don't say anything and people people pay attention. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, just stopped, paused the music, got up there. And I, uh, I previously had uh, put all, copy and pasted the um, lyrics on my phone because I didn't want to mess it up. Like, I, I know the national anthem, but, mm-hmm. like, I, you know, you don't nerves, be nerves get to you. Dude. Yeah, I, I you don't want to be one of those guys that be like, well, what's, what's the next word? Yeah, and yeah. sometimes, like, I don't, I don't want to get into it, but I didn't want to mess up the words, so I had lyrics out on my phone. People were like, is she really reading off the national anthem? I was like, 
I'm using it as a reference. I, I knew it. I was mm-hmm. just, I was yelling it, screaming it. We were all screaming it. very yeah. loudly. Yeah, the USA chant after two, phenomenal. Great, great way to start a party with a national anthem. If you don't start your parties with national anthems, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's that simple. Wrong. Another big time highlight would be Phil, the From CEO of Homie, yep. um, gave us a, a gift for our one year anniversary, a bottle of champagne. Nice. And popping that after we sold all of our koozies might have been the most rewarding feeling of all time. Oh, yeah. So thank you, Phil. And uh, and uh, we also need to get better at, um, we're pretty average at spraying champagne. I think you sprayed like 90% of the bottle and then we drank like, a little bit of yeah. it. Um, but well, hopefully Phil's not listening. We drank all, the, all of the champagne, Phil. So thank you, Phil. Appreciate that. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so speaking of uh, being average at spraying champagne, uh, we might want to get into our show here uh, and start talking a little average quality. Yes. Um, what do we got this week? So that concludes our party. I mean, so thank you. I just want to say thank you again. Yeah, thanks again to everyone who came. Phenomenal time. One year in, and I couldn't be um, more just genuinely happy with everything that we've put in and all the things that we've seen come back to yeah. us already. Big time given and taken. Um, so with that being said, our average quality, this is how we start our podcast. So those who of you, those of you who are new... Uh, we always start our podcast with an average quality because we're average podcasters. And this time, since the job fair was this past week, our average quality or my average quality is resumes. Hmm. I had a resume and I went to a career advisor, and a non-St. Thomas affiliated career advisor. And he looked at it and he goes, I love everything you got going on here. This is phenomenal. You got great work experience. However, this is old school. Your hmm. format of your resume is old school. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting. He's, and then he said, I'm going to give you a 2018 version of your resume. I'm going to guarantee you a job. I'm going to guarantee you a job with this format. Here's what we're going to do. And he just goes through every single part of my uh, resume, and he's like, we need to save lines. That's the key. Save lines. Wherever you have this little these gaps here, we're going to move this up, move this around. Okay, so now we got three more lines. We can put more characteristics down now. And then he starts off the resume with soft skills. So you're, you're telling, like, your tenacity, ambition, competitive work ethic, all this, like, soft skills. Yeah. And then you go into your um, technical hard skills, like Excel and organizational and all this. Then you put those down. And then you go into um, your work experience. And obviously at the top I have the Back Pocket Podcast. Yes, podcaster, obviously. Pod- and one in, year. One year. <laughs> um, my format is so entre- entrepreneurial-based it was phenomenal, like how I was able to organize it, yeah. and with the podcast being the number one thing. Nice. Because so when I was selling my pe- myself to like these jobs, these job fair people, they, I was just like, if you see this, this, and this, you could see I'm an entrepreneur and I can start anything from scratch. And people are like, all in, locked in. That's sick, dude. But uh, that was my that's our my average quality. I think the, the world needs to know how to create a resume. Yeah, get or, get with the times. Yeah, <laughs> get with the times. Sure. I, I mean. <laughs> The, the, the hot debate of old school versus new, new school needs to be talked about at some point later on. Mm. Possible great debate there. Um, Good plug. In not only just, like, old school, new school resume stuff, but, like, old school, new school fashion. So, like, are you going to wear a throwback jersey or are you going to wear a current jersey? Are you going to drive uh, an old school car or, or are you going to get an electric car? Ooh. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, old school, new school. Yeah. We should talk about that next, next week. Next week? Let's do that next week. Yeah, next week, uh, great debate. Tell your friends. Old school versus new school. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but yeah, I mean, like resumes. I like something that I just loathe. 
I absolutely loathe is like making a resume. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we had like the reverse career fair, I had where the employees come and see you and st- like, and you, yours was you and you went to go see the employees and like the Correct. employees had like a booth. Yes. So like I had a booth. I, my, I myself had a booth. Um, and then companies would come and talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is bad podcasting, but that's my resume right there. We'll, we'll, uh, I started out, instead of uh, soft skills, I went with fun facts. Mm. <laughs> and then uh, experience. And then I also did uh, associated skills. So, you know, I had, I had a couple, like, fun play on words there. Yeah. Uh, fun facts, of course. First one right off the bat. Co-host of the Back Pocket Podcast. Subscribe and listen on iTunes. I mean, it makes sense. Obviously. That's how you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's my more interactive resume. And so, hmm. well, speaking of resumes and speaking of the job fair, oh, let's talk business. We have to talk business. Um, we are here to talk business, um, featuring Austin Lorch this time around. Correct. And so, uh, going back, if you guys missed our last episode, uh, our average quality was that we were just fishermen casting a wide net, um, trying to figure out what kind of segments we like, what kind of th- what we want to do with the podcast on the front end. Well, uh, breaking news: we are. Uh, niching down so now every podcast from here on out will be a specific segment that uh, we've really liked in the last year this week's segment is the let's talk business segment that was created roughly about a year ago um when we had what was it connor Connor johannes Mm -hmm. yeah we called we had a couple people call in to give their hot takes on uh, connor johannes Um, this time around we got austin lorch and we went and took our talents to john abraham a reoccurring guest now and he gave his input on Austin Lorch talking business. Yeah, for what we usually give him like thirty seconds to a minute. Mm-hmm. This is roughly five minutes. You can't you can't do it. You can't do that to Johnny Abraham. Yeah. You need to give him as much time as he yeah. pleases. Exactly, mm-hmm. because just that's what John Abraham requires. That's the thing. He even buttons his collar, and his the colors match. Like his, he's put too much. He's just too pretty. Damn it. He's too pretty. It, like, is he, is is there like, you know, you can like Photoshop. Are his teeth Photoshopped white? Is his skin also more tan? Yeah, I think, I mean. Is it Photoshopped? I, that is my favorite question to ask. We had a, a person on earlier and they said it's a hyper-realistic photo. Yeah. He is, this is hyper-realism. This is, um, those eyes. You could stare in those eyes for just get lost in those eyes and wondering are they real or not. So like, would you worry about your daughter taking? Him I on wouldn't a date if she was getting lost in his eyes in that fashion. I mean. I'm lost in his eyes, so I'm not going to let my daughters go out with him. I mean, I know Austin; he's a good guy. But if you just saw the picture, you'd think, man, he's he's pretty smooth and maybe hyper real <laughs> or not real. He needs some stubble. What you, what are where are you uh, where are you at on the top button versus buttoning versus not buttoning? Is that shirt? Yeah, on me or him? Uh, in general, like if you're going to hire a business. Um, I have actually I've got my top button undone with a t-shirt today, but I've moved mainly to top button undone, chest hair showing, no yeah. t-shirt. Phenomenal. Okay. Because you know what, seventies and eighties were great. Okay. And um, then the nineties came around and everything was sterile. And now hairy chests are back. So usually if you come, I've even bought those T-shirts that have V-necks. Ooh. And I just do it. I'm 44, man. I'm going to show my virility. I'm going to show my my nickname in college was Chewbacca. With that being said, I might now jump on board on the V-neck. I was so opposed to it. I've been opposed to it. You're kind of wearing one right now. It's, kinda, it's, it's like a, a Henley. Yeah. A Henley. <laughs> okay. But 
I mean, I love your confidence behind the V-neck. Well, I got to tell you, uh, my renaissance happened in a flash. I was out. My, my wife was not happy with my clothes. She has a very fashionable, um, and he just happens to be gay, very fashionable friend from L.A. He flew in. He took me shopping. And he said, get rid of that damn T-shirt. Wear your shirt a little. He actually would have gone two buttons on there, maybe even three. And I shopped with him, and I was sweating by the time it was done because he had me in so many clothes. I was, like, changing. And he would bring me clothes faster than I could change. But after that, I used to I used to dress in suits, and, and, and I used to dress like you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, look, check this, this out. Check check. I mean, Those are some this, is, this is me today. Yeah, he, would, he would be happy. He would not be happy with the T-shirt. So I've gone mainly, I'd say 70% no yeah. T-shirt with chest hair and, okay. and 30% like this. Okay. Um, so it was, a, it was a specific moment that I realized, dump the T-shirt and just mm-hmm. do it. Okay. So would you, if you're going for a LinkedIn profile picture, are you throwing any filter on there like Austin's done here? Or are we going strict just, this is John Abraham, this is my Chewbacca <clears throat> Hire me, if you will. Well, if I do LinkedIn, I think I do have a LinkedIn account. Okay. I'm not looking for a job. Mm-hmm. So right. I, sure. I have but a if different... Were... If I was, the key is to exude confidence mm-hmm. and competence. Okay. Mm-hmm. Competence, for sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Does this breed competence? It, I, it may or may not. I mean, here's the thing. You don't want to try too hard. Mm-hmm. It's like you're trying to get a date. If you try too hard, that's that's going to backfire. Not appealing, yeah. And so if 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 Austin looks like this normally, I mean he he looks pretty confident there. Yeah, very confident. Yeah. Um, but I'd say for most people, when you try to do something like this, it backfires. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you don't want to be dressed like you are. Correct. Because then people think you don't take things seriously, unless you're in the arts areas, mm-hmm. or unless maybe marketing or something, or like personal uh, trainer. Uh, that if I was wearing <laughs> that, that's what I would go for. Yeah, yes. yeah personal trainer. Um, there's also these people who now you can hire them if you if you're going to throw a party, and you're worried about the quality of people that are going to be there. You hire these party crashers, but they're really anti crashers. People that show up, good looking people who are buff. And they can talk. They set the tone. They set the tone. They come in and they, they, they're so good they can pretend they know. They even do homework ahead of time to figure out who's going to be there. Yeah. You could be one of those guys. Like some rich person in New York is going to throw a party for their son or daughter and they're afraid it's going to be a bust. They'll hire you. And they'll, they'll pay you like $10,000. So I got, I got the, uh, the image that, that enhance a party. That's right. Okay. That's right. Brings the party. I mean, I'll like, take that. Why would you not want to hire a guy that brings the party to the table? Yeah, that's exactly right. And the way he did this, I mean, did you were you flexing on purpose, or is that just how large your muscles are? I'm speechless. Yeah. Do you know, I would like to get a shirt like this, but with, uh, tr- what's this muscle here? Tricep. Tricep implants. Okay. I would like tricep implants. Into the shirt. Into the shirt, because, you know, it's tight enough that it shows definition. I don't have that definition. I'm 44, so mm. I just want to buy it. Mm. That's smart. Savvy. Okay, so Lorch is trying to be a lawyer, and I know you deal with lawyers all the oh, time. Oh, okay. So does this make a lot more sense? <clears throat> it does make more sense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you know, it's interesting. I was talking with a lawyer last month, uh, December. I was doing a deposition, and I was talking with a lawyer, and they said they can't get pe- young people to be lawyers anymore. They can't pay them enough. 
because these young people don't care about money as much. They want quality of life. And flying around doing depositions and trials, people aren't doing. So enrollment in law schools is way down. Interesting. So if you are willing to dress like that every day, you can get a lucrative job being an attorney. Okay. He's, He's working hard. Yeah. And we appreciate the input. So I think we talked business. I think Lorch knows now from a heavy marketing intern, from a fellow colleague, from a fellow professor, um, what to do. That's a good advice. Does he? What, 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 where, where did we come down on that? I think what I know is if he wants to get a lawyer job, that might be good. If he wants to date my daughter, my, my daughter's only 12 and 11, so this is, uh, he can't date my daughter. But if he wanted he to date someone's daughter, that may not work. Okay. So is LinkedIn for dating or for jobs? That's the question. One might argue for dating sometimes, but we're, that's a totally different conversation. That could be your next segment. segment. You could get some good dates on that because then you know they're like professionals. Yeah. And they got to study and it at least sets the both tone. directions. Yeah. yeah. You were speechless it. today. I was. Stunning. I, on the podcast. That's like what I have to be. I have to be speechful. Yeah. I was speechless. I'm rethinking about hiring you for parties because you can't be speechless <laughs> at a party. Could you imagine if someone paid you $10,000 to spruce up their kid's party in, like, Manhattan and you showed up and you are speechless? speechless? No, it wouldn't work. You'd have to have, like, little uh, little fallback comments on your hand. How's the weather? Yeah. <laughs> the weather in New York is terrible right now. Do you know they're getting hammered with a nor'easter? Today is what? March 2nd. March 2nd, 2018. 2,000 flights to the East Coast have been canceled. Boston is flooding. so Climate change. It might Perfect be. guy to talk to. I it mean. might be. <laughs> so, all right, I've already taken up over a minute. So, John Abraham, phenomenal. I love every second talking to you, and I feel like we need to have you on more often. Yeah, he needs to just be a more consistent guest on uh, at all times because he's, he's got such a wide variety of things that he can talk about. Mm-hmm. He's got business. He's got... Lawyer stuff. He's got. Uh, he's got it all. He's got it all. He also doesn't have a lot of hair, but he, he's got everything else. He's got everything else. You know who else has it all? Who? Teresa Collette. Teresa Collette. Absolutely. That's our uh, interview this week. She's phenomenal. She uh, born and raised in uh, Texas, and from the South, you can kind of hear that in her voice. Um, she's a lawyer. Uh, practiced marriage, uh, family law for quite some time. Uh, writes a lot of legal briefings for the Catholic Church on pro life. She's a big-time pro-life. Uh, she also described how she was like a, a super minority in being a white woman Republican Catholic. Um, so she's got some phenomenal lawyer stories and, you know, her battle being a Catholic and a lawyer at the same time. Um, so let's go ahead and kick it to that. Okay, marketing interns, today's guest is an awesome guest. We have our first lawyer on the show, Teresa Collette. Uh, She is a professor here at the University of St. Thomas in the School of Law, where she researches marriage, religion, and bioethics. Um, She has an advanced knowledge in the protection of human life and family. Um, So let's welcome Professor Teresa Collette. Okay? I'm delighted to be here. Yes, I apologize for the interruption. Yeah. Um, we're always trying to figure out our video recording. It's a yeah. continuous process. It's always a trial and error thing. Uh, um, again, this is another shameless plug. Uh, we're looking for an intern to uh, help us record video um, and avoid these situations. However, um, you know, uh, aside from the GoPro video, mm-hmm. um, we will be, you know, we're average guys. Um, we 
you know, you do th- some things great, do some things bad. Like, like, for example, the video recording, we're sometimes really good at it, sometimes, sometimes really bad. So at the end of the day, we're average video recorders. Um, <laughs> so then we ask you, and we ask all of our guests, um, what is your average quality? It's an excellent question. Probably house cleaning. Okay. Okay. Um, I feel average. as you can see, this uh, this room could use some house cleaning. I think we were probably below average yeah. in regards to house cleaning. As far as as far as uh, how many times we vacuumed in here, uh, probably care. over care under. Yeah, over under like two times. Yes. All right. I'm hammering the under mm-hmm. on that. Uh, quick FYI: This house was built 1888, um, and typically when we're in this room, it is negative degrees outside and it's a sunroom where we can't turn the heat on because it uh, detriments the audio so usually our guests have winter coats on so thankfully the sun is out today yeah. and we're warm and able to podcast in a comfortable environment yeah, today. hence the hawaiian shirts yes <laughs> um, um go ahead Dick. okay um so you know uh, getting getting right into it here um we're gonna kind of start with your career as a lawyer andrew mentioned uh your practices in family law and uh what was the other Actually, one? constitutional law. Constitutional law. Perfect. Um, either way, um, and you also write briefings for the Catholic Church. I do, usually yeah. in we do our research. cases. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Awesome. Um, so, first of all, like, what gave you the passion to become a lawyer to begin with? I'm actually not sure I would use the word passion. Oh. Um, I and my husband owned a small business. We owned, it started out as a bridal salon in a university town. There was none, and it looked like that was a market that needed to be served. Mm-hmm. Um we found that you make zero money on wedding gowns. It's the men that you make the money on. The tuxedos is where you actually make serious money. And so it grew to three more retail stores. And I was watching our lawyers as we were beginning to expand and to consider you know, how we structured it and that sort of thing. And thought, I could do that. I'd be good at that. I'd like that. And so it was mainly intellectual curiosity. Um, because I had thought I wanted to be a lawyer as a child, but then I worked for a law firm and thought they were really boring people. So I had walked away from it yeah. for a while. Okay. Very cool. Nice. Um, well, thank you for joining us today because we have heard you are not a boring person at all. Um, <laughs> and the whole point of our podcast is to uh, show our marketing interns, which we call our listeners, because we're not the best marketers. Um, so we have our listeners market our podcast. But with that being said, uh, you came to Declan's class and we're able to share some of your stories, and that caught Declan's attention right away, and we're always trying to get more guests on the show. Um, and your story sounded very interesting, and we wanted to learn more about you. So I don't think you're a boy. From what we know so far... <laughs> breaking news. Breaking news. Uh, you're not a boy break. lawyer. Yeah. So, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, you know, going off, dovetailing off your passion, I guess it's not necessarily passion, but how did you get involved with, you know, I, I mentioned, like, you write briefings for the Catholic Church. How did you get your passion behind... You're using your Catholic background as a motivator for being as a lawyer. Okay, so we have, I think, both my husband and I have always, we have a difference in theology. I tend to think that God has a script, that if I'm doing it right, I'm following his script. And if I'm not, then I'm off script and he has to improvise to either help me get back on script or rewrite. Okay. Um, And a lot of life does feel like improv. (laughs) I mean, things happen, and it's like, huh, now where do I go? Right. Um, So part of it is 
no matter what I'm doing, whether it was selling bridal gowns or I, I worked for the government at one point uh, in contracts administration for repairing of airplanes. So I've walked on a few airplane wings in my life, all on the ground, however. Uh, and so it's always been sort of how do I live my life in a way that um, I'm following what I think is the path or the script that God would have me to follow. Um, and that's as equally true as a professor as it was when I was in full-time practice. Um, I think that is born of uh, a faith. I was raised in a, a, a Protestant family, a uh, small Baptist church in the country in the summers. My mom was a single mom for a period of time. Uh, and so to those evangelical Protestants, I've been washed in the blood, uh, but uh, read a little of Thomas Aquinas and thought, this guy's so smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to be a part of this. Right. <laughs> uh, became a member of the church, but still think God has a plan, and my job is to try to discern it and follow it. Awesome. And through this path, how have you found that you realize you are on His path, on, his, on God's path? What are some of the signs, the characteristics, qualities that you're, okay, this is what I am supposed to be doing? Has there been like that aha moment along the way, or is it kind of just like a plug along, I believe this is what I'm supposed to be doing type mentality. I think it varies, okay. right? Um, and I've talked a little bit about it in the uh, faith and professions class that Declan was in. Uh, the transition from a secular law school to the law school up here was incredibly hard. Uh, it was, um, I was teaching in Texas. I uh, had had the opportunity to work with uh, then Governor Bush, ultimately President Bush, had the opportunity to work with Governor Perry on pro-life legislation, protecting uh, the unborn. Um, very different political climate. Um, and at a secular university, you really don't expect your students to uh, share your faith commitments, although in Texas a lot of them will, but, but you don't expect it. Uh, you, you don't expect your colleagues to. You, um, and so I was recruited for a couple of years to come up to St. Thomas. They had no tenured women. And they wanted, um, part of the recruiting pitch was we want our first tenured woman to be not only a faithful daughter of the church, but to be publicly known as a faithful daughter of the church. And I had represented the Texas Catholic Conference on a couple of things and had worked with the archbishop of my diocese and that sort of thing. Um, But coming up here, uh, it's such a different, not only, you know, climate, Six inches of snow last weekend? Really? (laughs) Why did the pioneers stay? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But also political environment, very different. Um, Further from family, now you have to get on a plane for the most part instead of, you know, a couple hour drive. Uh, Really, really difficult transition. Um, And at that point, you know, I kept trying to figure out, you know, Lord, am I not on the path you want or is what you're asking just really hard? I mean, and I don't know that you ever know the answer to that, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're doing exactly what he wants, and it's really, really hard, and that's why he wants you to do it. You have certain gifts and talents, and that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, Sometimes you are off the path and trying to make your own future, Mm -hmm. and it's just not working out. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, But after being frustrated and, and, frankly, depressed about that whole issue... You kind of get to the point where you have to say, well, you know, I don't really know which one it is, but here I am now. And so either I, 
you've improvised God somewhere, so how are you going to use me? Whether I got here because I messed up, or I got here because you wanted to bring me here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, good point. So when you when you got an email from me asking yes. uh, to come on the podcast, was that one of those moments where you're like, all right, God, like I really don't know if I should do this, and like we're were you just like, oh man, like you know, what were you uh, very caught on what you should do? I should... No, I was excited actually. <laughs> yeah. Okay, absolutely, right. <laughs> right on. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, your fame has spread. It's spreading. It's spreading. It's, it's always Your spreading. interns are doing a great job. Yes, I'd okay. love to That's hear good that. To know. Thank you, interns. Yeah, thank you, interns. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess uh, it's pretty clear at this point. Andrew and I are podcasters. I'm an engineer. Andrew's a business major. We're almost done, uh, but we're certainly not lawyer guys right. by any means. Um, but we are definitely smart enough to know that uh, there could be some issues um, with being a Catholic and being a lawyer. Yes. Um, so, do you have any kind of stories or maybe a case that uh, where you are challenged between your Catholic beliefs and then your duties as a lawyer? Well, there's several, okay. and and we were talking in class today about one. So, given our understanding of marriage uh, as a faithful Catholic. Uh, and I'm not talking about the definition of marriage other than the duration of marriage, right? So we think that divorce is, uh, is not something that is permissible after your commitment's been made. Um, can you, how do you deal with the situation when someone comes to you who is uh, experiencing a really uh, difficult Union and can you even begin to think about now? I I never did divorce law, right? But you get and I tell my law students, you know, after people learn you're in law school, they think you know. Oh, can you write a will for me? Or oh, what do you think about this? We do that with one of our roommates. He's trying to get into patent law. Right. He's trying to get into law school, but we already generalize him as like a lawyer. Right. He's Mm -hmm. uh, you know, allegedly the lawyer of our podcast. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in class we were talking about, I worked in the Trust and Estates Department, and part of that practice is doing prenuptial agreements mm-hmm. or postnuptial agreements. And if you actually believe that marriage is a sacrament, if you actually believe it's supposed to show a total gift of self to the other, then what's the point of the contract? <laughs> right? What are we negotiating over here? This is the easy answer, money. Uh, a lot of times the contracts, I, I only did one, and it proved to be as disastrous as I feared it would be. Okay. Uh, one of my law school uh, friends asked me to represent him as he was doing a prenuptial with another law school friend, and I came to absolutely detest both of their approaches to marriage as <laughs> a product, because they wanted to negotiate about who unloaded the dishwasher. I mean, they wanted to negotiate. Neither of them had any money. There was nothing at this right. point to divide up, right? Uh-huh. And I thought, if this is really the way you're going into marriage, that you have to negotiate all of these things in advance, what are you going to do when life throws you the unexpected? Right. Uh, so, so I think being a, a Christian and a lawyer, uh, I, I mentioned in class a story. I had a, um, in the Trust and Estates Department, I helped revise the guardianship laws. And we had a, um, and, and we established some rules about if a guardian wants to remove life-sustaining care, if you want to remove the ventilator, if you want to. And um, I got a call from uh, the public defender's office in this, not the public defender, but the legal aid office in Oklahoma, and they said we've never done one of these guardianships related to medical care under the new statutes that you helped draft. Uh, 
we really would like for you to take this case for us. And I worked for a big firm that had a very generous policy about what we would do pro bono and that sort of thing. Um, so I talked to the firm, and the firm was on board. And the woman came in, and her husband had been in a terrible car accident. And because of that, he had been rendered a quadriplegic, which makes breathing difficult, right? So he was on a ventilator. Um, he then, um, according to her, and they had several children, was so depressed that he would say, you know, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore, just have him take it off. Um, and then the ventilator cuff, the hospital transferred him to a nursing home, the ventilator cuff blew, which deprived him of oxygen. He now had permanent brain damage. He wasn't brain dead, but he had permanent brain damage, and there was any chance of serious recovery or inter interaction with the world was now very, very limited. Um, and so she, at the advice of hosp the, the hospital where the husband had been returned, wanted to get an order to remove the ventilator in this uh, case. And, and she was convinced, and I think truthfully was saying to me, that based on what he said while she was in the room, um, that that's what he would want. He wanted it even when he, when he was cognitively with us, and he would certainly want it now that he was unable to interact. Um, I agreed to take the case, and that case, the idea of extraordinary care in the Catholic faith, right, you're, you're allowed to remove extraordinary care. You're allowed not to undertake extraordinary care. Um, and St. John Paul and his encyclical on life um, specifically talks about this. So that wasn't a problem. The case was fine, right, perfectly up my alley. Well, I go to look at the medical records, and in fact, it's a much more uh, open question about what he wants because he only asked to have the ventilator removed while she was present in the room. Hmm. And there are a lot of times where people are subject to, you know, uh, they either feel guilty and they're acting out of guilt rather than out of their own desires uh, or they're being coerced. And, and so one of the real concerns that we all have when we're dealing with this sort of subject is this the free and voluntary choice of this person? Or is this something that's a product of something that's not free will, right? So the record showed that when she wasn't present, she, he would say things like, I'm going to fight like hell to get my health back. I'm going to be able to walk again someday. I want to do this. I can do this. And more tellingly, I discovered that the cause of the car accident was that he had come home to discover her in the marital bed with another man. Oh, wow. And had gone and got totally hammered and had a car accident. And that car accident resulted in him being the... The quadriplegic. Holy smokes. So now the whole, I'm sure the wife is acting in the best interest of the husband. I'm sure she's just trying to effectuate his intent. And, of course, the reality is this was not a wealthy couple, but he had been employed, and, and mo many employers make life insurance available to you. You may have to pay the premiums, but make it... So because they were still married, she would be his lawful heir, right? Um, and there was this very different sort of uh, desire he expressed when she wasn't present. So now what do you do? Right, <laughs> yeah. and there's I mean, nobody. How, how don't you allow your emotions to get involved in this? <laughs> like, um, 
anger or disappointment in um, the wife to be like to go through this process? How does a lawyer keep their emotions out removed from a case like this? Well, I don't. I, I don't think you can. Okay. I think you can just recognize them and deal with them. Okay, right? just, just recognizing Jeez. the facts, sticking to the facts of the case. Well, more recognizing. I feel snookered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? This is not what I signed up for. Right, right. And right. I'm really irritated about this. Yes. And I need to have a conversation with the client about this. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but in fact, I, I didn't ask her why he had the accident. Mm-hmm. And the records did indicate when she was present, he said these things. So it wasn't the case of the lying client. The lying client is much easier to deal with. You can't always get out of a case, but you can get out of the case most of the time. And the lying client, you know, it's sort of, I'm done with you. Thank you very much. You go find another lawyer to lie to, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, But that wasn't this case. And the other complication was that this was a, you know, legal aid case. So telling me she didn't have the resources to go find another lawyer. It's one of those, you know, lawyers of last resort sort of situations, which are far rarer than, you know, the cocktail party questions would have you believe. But they do happen. Um, And all of a sudden, now we're out of Catholic teaching, perhaps, right? Because the church, while it says you don't have to accept extraordinary care, it certainly doesn't accept that other people can remove it against your will if... It's being provided, mm-hmm. right? So we've got to... And it was further complicated by the fact that it turns out the nursing home where the, the husband had been transferred had uh, not been adequately trained in the ventilator procedures. So there might be some liability here on the part of the hospital for transferring or the nursing home for failing to monitor, right? So you... Uh, it, which all of this would be irrelevant if I had somebody on the other side of the case, right? I mean, that's the genius of the adversary process. And I know there are lots of problems with the adversary process. It makes things more expensive. It can make them more painful, yada, yada, yada. Got it. But it does make sure when these sort of surprises come into being, right, that somebody's going to talk about it and talk about how it should affect the opinion. Whereas when you're doing what's called an ex parte hearing, when you're the only lawyer before the court, when your client's the only person before the court, there's a real tension between this is something that could keep my client from getting what they want, and my obligation is to get for my client what my client wants, and the obligation to be an officer of the court and to provide full information. And you have duties of confidentiality, right? I mean, these things I had learned... And the only reason I can tell the story here is because it's not possible to identify the court proceeding. You can't go back and search court files and find out who this was mm-hmm. right. because they're, they're sealed. Um, but um, there's a real tension. Do I, do I tell this to the court knowing that, and frankly for the purpose of perhaps getting the court to deny the order that she wants, mm-hmm. or do I simply don't ask, don't tell? If the court asks, you know, do I, what do I do with this? And even if the hospital had been there, that would have helped a lot, right? Some other lawyer on the other side. But So I talked with our uh, ethics committee in the firm about whether I had a duty to inform the court. Uh, and in the end, I, you know, I put the woman on the stand. She made a, a, a very convincing witness because, again, I think she was telling the truth as she understood it. 
Um, it was a very sympathetic situation. But when she finished, you know, the court kind of assumed I was going to close the case. And I said, Your Honor, before we, before we close the record, uh, I, you know, I want to admit these uh, medical records, the nursing charts in particular. And I want you to look at page 372 and 493. And, and it was a pretty big record. But you will note there that notwithstanding my client's testimony, which is also reflected in the records, that there were occasions when uh, the, 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 the man said, I, I want to try to recover. I believe I can recover. I want to try to recover. And so in making your decision, uh, you should allow that evidence into your consideration as you try to make it. I still don't know about that case. Um, I know that we went to lunch, and by the time we got back to lunch, from the lunch, the court had issued the order, the ventilator was removed, and he was dead before I got home for dinner. Um, what will God make of that when I appear? Well, I know I have the best lawyer in eternity, <laughs> right? We have an advocate, uh, but, um, you know, had I known that, I probably wouldn't have taken the case, mm. right? And, the, and those are the really hard ones. When when things uh, turn sideways on you and you're not sure about, you know. Uh, the other one is we had a, a Jehovah Witness case where we represented a major hospital in uh, Oklahoma City. And there was a child that was a blue baby, had certain, um, had a syndrome that uh, he needed a blood transfusion. And the doctors had tried alternatives and the, the parents were resisting based on the Jehovah Witness belief that where scripture, and it's sort of some of the kosher rules, right? We're not supposed to eat blood, that's why the kosher, right? Well, Jehovah Witnesses believe a transfusion is the same thing. Okay, so it's not a completely irrational, I mean, it's not the way I understand the Bible, but I respect that their views. Uh, they were refusing it. Um, the hospital called and said, Teresa, we got to have it. The way it works, you call the, the DA, and the DA will petition for a, a neglected child. You go with the DA. You, you, you actually can go to a judge's home at 9 at night or, right? Um, they have, like, judges on call for that sort of situation. They have judges on call. And gotcha. In major metropolitan areas like L.A., they have court 24 hours open. Mm, wow. But in Oklahoma, it was, we weren't in that situation, so you had the judge's home, phone number, and address. And and we went out, and, and we got the order, and we got got the transfusion, and the baby died anyway. Now, at one level, I, I think the parents' interpretation of Scripture is wrong. I don't think the child will go to hell simply because the child was transfused. But if we look at the worldly accomplishment, what did I accomplish in the here and now if you don't believe in the afterlife? What I accomplished is taking two scared and worried parents and convincing them that their child now may be living in eternal pain. Not a good day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very difficult. Day. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, faith, I found faith to have a lot to do with a lot of stuff that I did. Yeah. So those crazy. are two examples of some very difficult cases and some tough times that you had to deal with. Um, on the other hand, what are some of the rewarding experiences as a lawyer um, that you can mention on the podcast? Good question. There are a lot of them. Um, some as a lawyer, some as a law professor. Um, you know, the, the times when... I tell my students that a lot of estate planning is happy family law. <laughs> right? It's yeah. families... 
often, or at least elder law, you're trying to take care of your parents or your grandparents, and, and you see these families that have really got it together, but Grandpa's still driving, and he shouldn't be, and they're worried about him, and they, they have the best motives in the world, and they, they, they will use their own personal resources to take care of Grandpa, and, and that's a pretty wonderful you know, thing to, to watch and, yeah. and to be able to help them with, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Um, and so so that aspect was really, really good. Uh, we've had, I've served as special assistant and attorney general for the state of Oklahoma. We've had some real successes there as well, uh, which is uh, which is always a good feeling, um, particularly because those cases primarily uh, involve either making sure that uh, Parents understand what are, that their minor daughter is pregnant, and uh, and therefore because of that have the opportunity to assist her in making the decision. From my view, the decision should always be to continue the pregnancy and perhaps put the child up for adoption, perhaps not. Um, but the idea that parents would not even know is absent some sort of extraordinary circumstances, and I can imagine those, and had a couple of cases involving those. Um, but that's a good day. Um, the reforms we make in the Guardianship Act, I think, help people. That's a good day. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so transitioning here a little bit, <laughs> um, we we do a research on this podcast. I don't think we say that enough. Um, and we know that you ran for Congress in the St. Paul District I did. in 2010. I did. Mm. Um, well, first off, um, how was that experience? Horribly wonderful. Oof. Ooh, nice. <laughs> so you get both ends of the spectrum. So you, can, so, you, so you could say average. Yeah. You could say average, I guess. You could yeah. say that was an average experience. Um, with that being said, what was like the biggest takeaway, I guess, from the running for Congress? Give, I guess even given the political climate, like you, like you had right. mentioned, being a Republican in a strict Democratic... In a 63% Democratic district, yes. yes. Um, Oof. I like windmills (laughs) Um, it's so easy to get cynical and to think that people just don't care right that they've just given up and they're gonna they're gonna go to their work and do their work they're gonna come home and have their beer glass of wine and then they're gonna play with their kids and they really don't care about the larger issues now I think people A should go to work and make their own decision about whether they should come home and have beer or wine. But after that, play with their kids. I'm a fan of that life. Mm-hmm. Right. But we as citizens have certain obligations and we and, and certain rights. And you kind of begin to think, especially through the media, that people aren't exercising it or they don't care about it. I didn't experience that with door knocking. I And I liked door knocking, which makes me kind of weird. You would think <laughs> successful, maybe, but maybe it's my personality. We don't right, know. Right, right. Uh, but it was really affirming to know how much people do care and and people on both sides right. how how much how thoughtful they are i have never worked so hard in my entire life um in part because if you are in congress yes you will have committee appointments so it's not as bad once you're there as it is as a candidate but people expect you to know about the issues that are important to them and the range of those issues is just breathtaking so an engineer like yourself actually came up to me and said, so what do you think about the, and I can't even remember how he phrased it, but sort of the, the energy war, the electromagnetic 
How are we protecting our life? And I was like, huh, are we protecting our life? For me, what's going exactly. on, please? And then I can give you that. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, so you have him, who's a brilliant man in this area, also uh, a man known to have donated nicely to Republican candidates. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted him to think I was smart and cared about Played his off, issue, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but my answer had to be, I know nothing about this area. Tell me what you think. Tell me where to look for information, and then let's have coffee again, mm, right? Like yeah. um, to the person who, you know, my Ukrainian cousin needs to get out of Ukraine, and how do you think we should resolve the conflict? Wow. I can't even point Ukraine out on a map. I mean, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Are these um, experiences you shared through the knocking on doors? Yeah. yeah. And they answered, and these were the questions they had for you. Exactly. That's really cool. Um, Maybe that's something that we need to do as a podcaster because the feedback, <laughs> the feedback you're getting is phenomenal, and like that is something everyone needs to go through and f- hear what their perspective is because you don't know what they're right. they're looking for. Right. Um, we try to f- hit home what our audience, what we think our audience is listening right. for, but we don't know unless we go and ask them. Go and ask them. Yeah, that's so cool. And yeah. usually people look at the knocking on the on the door as a tedious. What are you going to get out of this one person yeah. at a time mentality? Solicitating. Um, those stories come out of that. And it was great. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, if I were to ever run again, and my husband would have to change his mind, uh, <laughs> but if I were to ever run again, you know, I'd start there. And, and I had campaign folks that were old hands who said, who said exactly that. No, what you need to do is talk to donors, donors, donors. You've got to get money. You've got to get on the media. You've got to do this. All that's true. But, you know, the neighborhood I live in, which is very close to here, is hugely democratic. They also go to church with me. So it's a little harder right. to shut the door in my face. Right? Yes. Yeah. And, but even when they did, when I was in the, you know, I would stop and I would say, look, people would say, well, I've already decided I'm going to vote for <laughs> Indicating largely, not you. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. And I'd say, okay, but, but if I were to win, what are the issues that are important to you? How right. could I serve you in this office, notwithstanding right. that we don't share a political party? Right. And you'd get some really interesting and thoughtful answers. I don't know that I changed anybody's vote. Well, I obviously didn't. I'm not in office. Uh, but, uh, you know, but it was a, I thought it was a grand experience. It was also a horrible experience. The media, because I had been involved in the marriage issue, etc., uh, one of the major newspapers in this area was really quite clearly uh, opposed to me, even though it's not a St. Paul paper. Gee, I wonder what paper that might be. Uh, <laughs> from from the get go, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and any way you could make a story worse, you would. Yeah. Um, Jeez. So it was it was a grand adventure. Yeah, yes, I bet. Um, I think that's the, one of the reasons. Like, uh, we have a podcast band list, and on the top of our list is politics. Okay. So we don't necessarily talk a lot of politics yeah, on the show. We're not going to give you what we think about politics. We'll talk about it, but we're not going to give you our opinion yeah, because it, at the end of the day, that's not what we're here for. Yeah, um, we're here about the stories. We're here about like the genuine problems and the solutions that people have, rather than like picking a side. If, right. yeah, picking yeah. a side and then going with the umbrella approach. Mm-hmm. And that, and I feel like a lot of the times that is kind of what you have to do in your situation where you're talking to people about getting their Ukrainian cousin out of Ukraine, right. and then you're also talking about something that you don't know anything about, which is the engineering stuff. Like, that is all under the umbrella of being of governing over, like, a, right. a body of people. So how, like, I, it's always the hardest thing for me to understand, like, 
being like the president of the United States and like understanding and trying to appease to the majority of the people. Like, right. And sometimes when the majority is wrong, letting things cool off enough yeah. to, to actually do the right thing, mm-hmm. which yeah. is hard. Exactly. Um, I remember I had one person who had a history of giving significant amounts to Republican candidates. And he said, you know, I just, you're just not going to win given your position on abortion, but if you change it, I'll write a big check. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, you know, I'm sorry, that's just not for sale, <laughs> so there right. we be. Well, a couple of months later, I got a check. <laughs> Regardless. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of it is just saying no. Now, I might not have gotten a check. Probably, I had two donations that I will be forever grateful for. There was a young man, actually he wasn't a young man, he was middle-aged, but he had Down syndrome. He worked as a janitor. Hmm. He marched in every parade for me, and at one of them he came up and he handed me $50, and he said, this is for you. Now, I know that guy worked at minimum wage. I know this was a huge sacrifice. I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that really hit home. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And then I had a former law student who, uh, whose husband had actually been diagnosed with cancer within the month and was expecting like their third or fourth child. And they sent me a check for 250 And it was like, can I send this back? I mean, not because I don't want it or can't you, but no! Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what you mean. So, yeah, it was really, you know, a lot of thoughtful people, a lot of thoughtful people on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Uh, and that's one thing to note, too, is, like, there's such a separation nowadays between your rights and your lefts, but there are still, like you said, no matter who it is, and you find this through door knocking, is there are thoughtful people on both ends, and right. that just needs to be recognized. Right, mm-hmm. right. We do an exercise in my law classes built on that. Oh, nice. So. Well, speaking of your law class, yes. uh, we'd like to talk about nice. you as a teacher, um, uh, specifically in the School of Law. Um, so to non-law students... What would you say is the biggest challenge for law students beyond the day-to-day reading requirements? Um, so, so, like, what's your what's the biggest? Like, if you're in law school, and like, we all know that law school is a lot of reading and writing. But what is like the biggest challenge beyond just like the the gritty day-to-day work for law students? There, it's one coin but two faces, right? <laughs> Lawyers have, probably rightly so, a reputation for being arrogant. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the ways that we hide our own insecurity, though, is to often appear more confident, a.k.a. arrogant, because we don't want you to ask. We, you know, of course I'm right. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the concerns is an overemphasis on, this sounds ridiculous for a professor to say, but an overemphasis on this particular moment in time in the grand scheme of your life. And I say that as a woman who went to law school with a husband, a nine-month-old, and a new business. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really easy to say to your husband or your partner or your spouse, you know, don't bother me. What I'm doing is preparing for our future. I am the most important. I am the center of the universe, right? Right, right, right. And law school in some ways, especially around finals, that'll be a huge temptation, right? The other is to overweigh the current moment. Uh, I think you should work hard. I think you should try to make great grades. But I sometimes say to students who are particularly discouraged, we have a saying, 
A students become professors, B students become judges, and C students make all the money. So in reality, you know, there's this sense that my grades are who I am. No, your grades are not who you are. Right. Your grades reflect how you performed on a particular task at a particular point in time. Now, you have a consistent pattern. It tells us that this may be your gifts and talents, or this may not be your gifts and talents. Mm -hmm. But I know plenty of what we call rainmakers in law firms who are fabulous people person. But if you were to ask them about the details of the rule against perpetuities or to draft a complex... Memorandum. <laughs> they bring the folks in and the rest of us do the work. And <laughs> thank you for bringing the client in. <laughs> yeah. Dang. Sure. I mean, we've learned over the long haul with this podcast of just being process-oriented and figuring out what works best through the trial and error process. We're going to continue to push forward on something and then if it falls, we're like, okay, we learned this from this and now we're going to take it a different branch. And I feel like that really is something law students have to take into account. That's right. Um, especially with learning all of the different things that has happened in the past because that is what really hits home for a great law lawyer is they know what happened in the past and how to uh, present that. And to project case. what should happen in the future. Mm -hmm. Great. Nice. Um, so I have a question. Um, how have you been able to portray... Uh, your beliefs and like your convictions of who you are to your students through what you teach? I do a couple of things. Um, uh, number one, I'm very upfront the first day. Okay. Um, in fact, I was just in Detroit talking about this at another law school. Uh, a student group had invited me to come in. Uh, there have been demographic studies of law faculty, and the most underrepresented characteristics in a law faculty would be a female Republican Christian. Which is you. Which is me. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, uh, the professor, uh, Professor James Lindgren at Northwestern, who has published these studies, said to me after giving a lecture once, you are such an outlier, you really are not even on our... <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. And so I open class and say, this is who I am. Now, here's the good news. You get to study from a very rare species. And you're okay. going to get a perspective that's not shared by a lot of other professors. But guess what? It's shared by at least half of America. So when you're in front of a jury, you're going to have somebody like me on it. Great. When you're in front of the bench, you're going to have somebody like me on it at some point. Mm -hmm. So here's the deal. <laughs> you know, this is what you get. That doesn't mean, when we're talking about certain issues, that my opinion is more important than yours. It does mean, if it's pertaining to the law stuff, it's probably more informed than yours. And you want it to be, because this is what I'm teaching. I've thought about it longer. I've probably had broader reading on it. It doesn't mean it has great moral worth, greater moral worth. It does mean, there'll be times when I'll say, that's just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what the rule against perpetuities is. Sorry. Um, and so I'm very upfront about that. We have, we read some relevant church documents. So, for example, when we start landlord-tenant, there's a document out of uh, the, the Vatican that's called What Have You Done for Your Homeless Brother? And it talks about structural problems with housing across the world. So we read that. Um, and then the other thing that I've done the past few years that really seems to work well is every student who has had me in a class has had the opportunity to have dinner in my home, in a Ooh. small group. 
Nice. And so, uh, even when I had the Aquinas course, we had the best Christmas party. It was super fun. I had two years. Oh, nice. Uh, Ugly sweater Christmas party? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Sure. Actually, it was White Elephant. You had to bring a silly gift. Oh, Oh, even better. (laughs) And the the most bid for gift was a painting I did at one of those wine and painting classes. Oh, perfect. (laughs) It's a canvas and cocktails. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Phenomenal. But I think that's... I think that is if some if there's one thing that I think the evangelicals appear to do better than we do in today's time, not true historically necessarily, they do create a real sense of we want you here, welcome, let's have community. Yeah, and so uh, I'm trying to do that with the law dinners. Nice. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, maybe one day, as a reoccurring guest, <laughs> <laughs> the back pocket might be invited over for a dinner or. We have you over for a dinner. Yeah. Well, um, it, it is a give and take society. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe, um, uh, maybe we interview your husband. He sounds like he has some things to say. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, wrapping up towards the back end of our show, we always uh, end our interviews with two questions that we thoroughly enjoy. These are kind of general questions that we don't know how the interviewee will take them or which, which way, which path they'll take the, the question. So, our first question would be. What was a pivotal moment in your life that has has allowed you to become who you are today? Marrying my husband. Okay. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> Our 40th anniversary is this August. Okay. How'd you guys meet? <laughs> we met. We were on um, the dorms at the University of Oklahoma form an X, and they have the men on two legs of the X and the women on two others, and we have a central elevator corridor. Mm-hmm. In theory, the door's locked on right <laughs> on the Xs. Mm-hmm, sure. um, and we were on the same dorm floor, and so uh, he was on 9 East and I was on 9 West, and we met as freshmen in college. So. Wow. Very cool. Yes. 40 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. That's sweet. Um, and then our final question would be, what did you learn today? So we kind of like to ask our guests, through their day-to-day process, is there something that you've experienced or read um, that is a little tidbit, a golden nugget of the day that you'd like to share to our marketing listeners? Engineers can be funny. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) That's phenomenal. (laughs) What did I say that was so funny? When we were coming in and talking about your house and your housekeeping practices. (laughs) Yes. That's fair. That's perfect. It's usually a good icebreaker. Mm-hmm. The, the, the den, the den provides that. So, yes, you know, it's a perfect icebreaker. Um, well, thank you for coming on. I was uh, delighted. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah your stories awesome. were phenomenal, and uh, just can't wait to hear more about them sooner or later here, and maybe a dinner over dinner. Yeah, yes. Who knows? <laughs> All right. <laughs> thank thank you. you, guys. Thank you so much, Teresa, for coming on, and I really do hope that we. We'll have dinner over at her place. Or yeah. maybe she can come and we'll host dinner for her. Did we uh, sneaky invite ourselves over? I think we did. Uh, that's okay, though. <laughs> uh, we're starving college kids, so we can still pull that, pl- that, uh, that plug every once in a while. Yeah, use that, uh, that, use that cart. Use that cart. Play the cart. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Thank um, you. So, this is the back end of our show. And, again, those of you who are new, because we, now we have new subscribers because we had a party. Um, we talk about what did we learn in a feel-good story. We are at our best during the back end, and if you make it this far, you're uh, you're in another tier, yeah, I'd say. You're a market. tier above the normal marketing intern. I mm-hmm. think we uh, we definitely were messing around with that on, uh, uh, what were we doing? What were we Instagram? 
Oh, yeah, Instagram. Duh. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, fun times. Absolutely. Um, but here we go, and uh, this is when we're at our best, like Andrew says. Uh, so what did we learn? First segment, uh, Andrew. I can start us. And, yeah, please. Um, I would love to say that this this time around I learned loving the process really turned out well for us on Saturday night. I mean, again, I've, I think we've said this three or four times this podcast alone, but we have just enjoyed every second doing this podcast, and last night was a culmination of everything. It yeah. was a back pocket party, and everyone was stoked. <laughs> was bought in for a, a, a dinky average podcast. Yes. <laughs> that's <laughs> phenomenal. Mm-hmm. We created that, and that's, yeah. that's what's the what's cool. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Something that we created, keep, keeping it going You can hang strong. your hat on that. Absolutely. Um, I learned uh, where Uptown is. So I don't I um get where Andrew and I are jumping into the housing market, the mm-hmm. housing search, and you got to know your g- general locations. Uh, you got to know where Uptown is. You got to know where St. Louis Park is. Got to know where the banks are. Banks as in TCF and U.S. Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, West Bank. West East Bank, Bank. East Bank. Yeah, there's all kinds of banks, but uh, yeah, because making turns. Yeah, making turns, dude. Just get your turns, jump your cornices, you know, <laughs> shred some powder, dude. That's s- simply simply put. Um, but yeah, I mean. We're West St. Paul boys, uh, allegedly, <laughs> sitting here in uh, St. Thomas. So, like, I don't have a car here or anything, so I've never really had to, like, drive outside of St. Thomas. Yeah. Um, so I don't, like, my geographic... Your GPS can't... isn't there. Yeah, my mental GPS is just not there in the mm-hmm. Twin Cities yet, but it's about to be because uh, we're looking at a house that's not at St. Thomas anymore because yep. we're graduating, not to brag. Big big boys. Yeah, we're, we're growing up a little bit. Yeah. Getting some hair on our faces. Um, so... That's what we learned this time, and now we're going to go to the feel-good story. Yeah, right on. Uh, this, so we're going to... That was a really good transition, by the way. Awful transition. <laughs> My brain is just... It's it's working. Not at top speed, though. <laughs> it's at average speed. It's going about 40 miles an hour in a 60. Yeah. Woo. Sheesh. Sheesh. Uh, our feel-good story. So we're trying to implement a new way we go about this and showing... Giving back a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so... Oh, man. So... Are we doing the marketing interns of the week? Is that always going to be our feel-good story now? I don't know. We could work it into it yeah. like that. Okay, I like that. Maybe maybe we do a feel-good story still, but we also do like marketing interns of the week also. Okay. And uh, just kind of drop that in there Yes. on the back end anyway. So okay. marketing intern of the week, also part of our feel-good story, correct? Yes. Um, Tess and Laura, thank you again. We mentioned you guys earlier, um, but phenomenal work. I We were not expecting T-shirts. Um, not only did they get us T-shirts, they got us T-shirts with their logo on it, with a back pocket on there. Uh, Fruit of the Loom, also, if you guys are familiar. Cozy. Yeah, cozy. I love Fruit of the Loom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, love, I love Fruit of the Loom. Yeah. Hear I, that? We want you as an ad. Yeah, we just just to let you guys know, we absolutely love Fruit of the Loom. That's without an ad. That's a non-ad read. Love. Non-ad, yeah. Just We just like it. We just like it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then our feel-good story is just our friends turning out for that party. I mean, we couldn't we couldn't be here without them. Yeah. So thank you. That's my feel good. That's our feel good story. Okay. Because they are just so supportive of, of us through thick and thin, through highs and lows, through yeah. strikes and gutters. Hey, and they're always gonna have uh, great things to say. They're also gonna critique us when we need to hear. It. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when our girlfriends come in. Also, our endless love and support from Faith and Sierra. I know they're both not listening, but we'll let them know that we talked about them on the podcast. Uh, so thank you, Sierra. And thank you, Faith, uh, for also just sticking with us and dealing with our podcast and us talking about it all the time. I know they don't really like that, but they're gritty. Yes. And uh, with that being said, we want everyone this week to be gritty. 
want everyone to rely and love the process. We want everyone to lean on each other because these people are the ones that are, or the people around you are the ones that are going to make you your best. Mm -hmm. Um, So go be your best this weekend, marketing interns, or this week, and uh, just have a blast. And with that, take care. Take care.